In July 1968, uh, Life magazine uh, produced this article, and on the front page of this magazine uh, was an absolutely devastating picture of two uh, young famished children in a place called Biafra. In 1968, um, Steve Jobs was 13 years old. Steve Jobs, the you know, Apple giant, as it were. He took this magazine, and it devastated him. So he, he went to his local church at the time. And he walked up to the pastor and said, Pastor, if I was to hold up a finger, any finger, would God know which one I was going to hold up before I did it? And the pastor said, well, yes, God knows everything. And so Steve Jobs then pulled out the magazine. And he said, Pastor, does God know about this? And if so, what's he going to do about it? And do you know what the pastor's response was? He turned around and said, yes, Steve. God does know about it, and I know you don't understand, but he knows everything. And he left it at that. Do you know that day when Steve Jobs was 13 years old was the last day he ever stepped foot in a church. It was the last day he ever continued to explore that Christian religion. It was the last time we ever saw him talk about Christ. You know, the interesting thing is, is that this was not one of the mo just one of the most gifted talented, creative minds of our time that have just been brushed off and away from God. But so are the untold millions of people who were never reached, helped, or transformed because of a man who really actually never understood his role in this world. If only someone had said to him, yes, Steve, God does see that. He does know that. He does understand that. And it breaks his very heart to see it. It destroys him. That was never his plan for creation. But he does have an answer. He does have a solution. And it's actually right here in this room right now. It's me. Steve, it's you. And if you're willing, God will give you all of heaven's resources to do something about it. See, that's what we've been talking about for these last few weeks when we were going through the series In His Image, and it's really worth grabbing the podcast and listening to some fantastic talks, and Sarah's up next week, which is always a blast to listen to. But we started off, uh, Mark started off a few weeks ago reminding us in Genesis 1 that out of chaos, God created the plants, the trees, the animals, the sea, the land, everything in it, and then at the pinnacle of creation, God decided he would then create mankind in his image, a reflection, an extension of God's kingship. Psalm 8, I think, puts it the best way when he says, you, God, talking about God, about mankind, you, God, crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand. You see, we were created in God's image to reign on his behalf, to be rulers seated on thrones. He blessed us and gave us the backing of heaven's provision and said, go multiply, fill the earth, and rule over it, just as I would, for me, for us. To switch to a kind of commercial analogy for the next part, for some reason, we got it in our minds that we could do better. And so we cut our partner out of the business. The only problem was, it was his company. And so in cutting him out, we actually lost the company. We lost our role, and we lost all the benefits with it. We were out. But you know, God's great love for us couldn't leave us far away. It couldn't leave us disconnected. And so he had this plan of restoration. 
And when the time was right, he sent his only son, Jesus, to invite us back into the business. He laid down his life. He gave up his very inheritance that we could take his place, and he brought us back in. You see, if you take that analogy, you realize that actually we are stakeholders. We have a vested interest in the success. We don't just share the work and share the job. We share the company, the legacy, the kingdom. Jesus says, I don't just give you jobs, I give you authority, you act on my behalf. What Jesus is saying, and if you run a business, you know this, if you are cautious about your money, if you're wary about your time, if you're sparing of your emotion, if you want to hold on to your convenience, onto your calendar, if you want to stay in your comfort zone, if you come to Christianity just for the benefits, you can enjoy yourself. You can have a good time, but if you're not willing to invest what you have into it, then even though you may enjoy it for a bit, don't be surprised if the company, the world, doesn't do as well as it should. To be fully and personally invested, to ally yourself with one who has all of heaven's resources and all of heaven's motivation against the chaos, the misery, and the brokenness of the world, that is to be a creator, that is to be a ruler of heaven on earth. You know, I'm going to talk about, for the rest of this talk, about how we can take our time and our energy and use them for God's glory, for his, and for our success. And to do that, we need to sit on the thrones that he's given us. So what does that look like? I had a conversation at the beginning of the week with an absolutely wonderful lady in this church. And she has um, she's started this community, uh, so this group in a local community center about 10 years ago or so. And she gathers Asian women and invests in their life. And her uttermost desire, and understandably, is to see them come to know Jesus. The same Jesus that has met her, poured his love into her, and transformed her very life. As we were talking, she was expressing some of her sadness that people have not been making that decision to follow Christ. And so we had this difficult conversation. And I said to her, you know, maybe it's more than just about converting people and leading them into Jesus. And don't fire me for that, please, listen to me out. Maybe it's more than that. And she absolutely and rightfully re replies, she says, so are you okay with people going to hell? Yeah. I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But maybe it's not so much about sending people to heaven as opposed to bringing heaven to earth. Maybe it's not about just giving people a ticket or as someone was saying the other day, a, a fire insurance certificate. You know, it's going to be fine at the end of the day. Maybe it's about giving them a taste, an experience today that would lead them to realizing how wonderful God is, how much he loves them and how willing he is to work in their life today. You know, didn't Jesus teach us to pray that? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not when we die, not in a hundred years' time, but we're to pray for that each and every single day. N.T. Wright says it like this, Christians are designed to be a sign and a foretaste of that ultimate salvation and the means by which God makes this happen, both the present and the future. If you take that analogy, what better place to experience, what better place to foretaste heaven than in the church? When you gather kingdom-minded people who are seated on their thrones doing what God has called them to do, you experience God's pleasure, as we did during worship and some of our pleasure as we watch Chris dance. We enjoy that pleasure that God has for us and the rule over chaos in this world. 
You know, whenever I think about church and whenever I think about one of the wonderful impacts it has on people's lives, I always think about a particular friend that, um, that I used to live next door to a number of years ago. You know, she had a very troubled and abusive upbringing and very limited education. Her, her parents just kept her out as much as they could, really. And so as she grew up and the way she was treated, she saw little of a choice than to become an escort, a prostitute. You know, when I met her, when she was living next door to me, she was this beautiful, somewhat naive, but absolutely wonderful girl, young girl in her 20s. And she had two children. She just loved them with everything she had. But she was filled with embarrassment and shame for who she was and what she did. You know, I kept on inviting her to church every time we had an event, every time I think I got baptized while she was in that place. And I just invited her every single opportunity. And eventually she came. She was incredibly nervous, incredibly nervous about how people might treat her. And then when she was here, Tara met her. And boy, did Tara love her. She spent time with her, she played with her, she had fun with her, they did amazing things together. And the more that Tara found out about her life, the more that she loved her. We had the wonderful privilege of leading her to Jesus. And you should have seen her then. I mean, as she was here every single service, with the biggest smile you have ever seen. Her long blonde hair flowing as she ran throughout this place, doing anything and everything she could to make this place happen. And if you couldn't find her, if she disappeared, I could tell you exactly where she would be. She would be on that back row, laying down, usually during the sermon, fast asleep. She loved it here because she knew she was loved. She knew she was safe. She knew she was accepted. And when everything was nonstop chaos outside of those doors, she knew in this place, when she was here, she was in heaven. You know, me and Tara, my wife, we often say we love this church. And when we say we love this church, we don't just mean we love the building, we love the facilities, we love what we do. When we say we love this church, we mean we love you, you guys. If you don't mind, I actually want to spend a little bit of a moment just bragging on you. Because you do amazing, wonderful, tremendous things. And I would love to brag on each and every single one of you. Me and Tara do it. You know, we find ourselves in the evening just commenting about one of you and saying how God is at work in your lives. And me and the staff do it as well. We do it over lunch. I actually was talking to the staff just the other day about this. And, uh, you know, we, we, we've concluded that, you know, every church has volunteers but here, we have engaged, passionate, kingdom-minded leaders who get it, who understand. When I was talking to Heather, she was bragging on Fee Mullins, and I'd love to get her to stand up, but she's currently traveling the world. So there you go. But uh, she, uh, she's part of the Fee team that takes place on a Monday morning. And she's a teacher, she's educated, she's gifted. And she uses those gifts wherever she can. But on a Monday morning, you would often find her going around cleaning tables. And Heather once asked her, why do you do this? And she'll tell you why, and I'll tell you why. Because she knows the value of every single person that comes through those doors. She knows how much they mean to her and how much they mean to God. And she wants them to know, like if you were having guests around your house and you made a special guest and you cleared the table and you cleaned the house, we, she wants them to know that we love that they are here. 
We love that they have made that journey to come here. And we are delighted to see them. How about this? In a world of selfish ambition and constant rejection, Maria, uh, who works in Vineyard Kids, was bragging on Sue Pandit um, on the Vineyard Kids team. Sue turns up every Sunday with a genuine, I'm happy to be here smile. She encourages everyone she talks to. She appreciates everything that someone does. And she's always grateful, always enthusiastic. We'll never hesitate in listening to people. We'll never hesitate in praying for people. She loves everybody she comes into contact with. It brings her utter joy. And actively loving those around her and actively caring for the team, she actually releases Maria and the team to do incredibly, uh, to do what they can only do on every single Sunday morning for our children. And if you let me take that a little bit further, Steph Britton uh, emailed me last week about one of the experiences. I could have loads of these stories, but let me just tell you one. She was at home complaining of a back problem, and she just talking to the kids, you know, moaning about it as you do as parents. And, um, and she and her eight-year-old son, without any hesitation, just, oh, there you are, uh, any hesitation, came and just gave her a massive hug. And then her five-year-old daughter says, Mommy, can we pray for you? And I love this. So they've been taught five-step healing model, how to pray. First question is, you know, what's your name and you know, what's wrong and everything else. So the five-year-old daughter and the eight-year-old son put her hand on the shoulder and say, what's your name? <laughs> and they said, thank you, Jesus, for mommy. Thank you that you love her. Now heal her and make her better in the name of Jesus. These kids get it. They get that heaven is available to them and they can bring it, bring it anywhere. And this one is mine. I've been waiting for a long time to brag on this man and I'm so glad I get to do it. And I'm kind of just seeing if he's at the back of church. Uchi, where are you? Uchi. Where is he? He's here somewhere. Someone needs to get him or force him in the second service. You know, I read a crushing statistic at the Parent Talk event we did last week. A 15-year-old is more likely to have a mobile phone at home than a dad. You may not know Uchi by name. He was actually on the welcome team at the doors today. But this slightly older Nigerian man who actually deserves honor, refuses every opportunity he gets. But he has opened the door to every single man, woman, and child in this entire church. And he does so enthusiastically. And every fatherless child that has walked through that door has been greeted with a father figure who is glad to see them and says, welcome home. In a place where they have no one else in the world that even is interested in them in that way, he acts as the Father in heaven would act if he was standing there looking at them eye to eye. It is important. Yuchi models how important it is to have men at the front, at the refreshments or on the welcome team as we look at our fatherless world and say, we need men to stand there because the younger people are watching how you treat when people don't give you anything back. You know, I genuinely could brag on this church and I could genuinely brag on individuals all day. But whatever team you're on, in whatever way you serve, you are bringing heaven to earth. And on behalf of everyone at Vineyard and behalf of the Father in heaven who smiles down on you, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And let me say this. If you've experienced that, that welcome, that care, that love, and you're grateful but not yet involved, we need you to be part of, part of this church. 
part of making heaven on earth in this place, part of making heaven on earth for every single person that walks through those doors. As I said, you're a stakeholder. You have a vested interest in his success. We don't just share the work. We share the company, the legacy, the kingdom. But it's one thing bringing heaven to earth in this church. It's another thing bringing it to the chaos in the world. But you know, God has crowned us with glory and honor and made us rulers over the works of his hands. Maybe up until today, you just thought when we die, we go and live on some fluffy cloud in the middle of nowhere and, uh, and just spend time with God. That's just not true. Heaven is coming to earth and it will be here in fullness one day. But if that was the case, then who cares about this world? Well, God cares. And that's the reason why Christians care about this world, because we are, we, this is the reason why we are passionate about it. This is the reason why we fight against poverty, the reason why we fight against disease, the reason why we fight against injustice and oppression, because this world and everything in it today, at this moment, is in chaos, but today has a God in heaven who looks on it and wishes it for it to be better. In the book, Surprised by Hope, by Tom Wright, really, N.T. Wright, is a great book to read about um, our hope. When people cease to be surrounded by beauty, they cease to hope. They internalize the message of their eyes and their ears, the message that whispers they are not worth very much. I love this feed testimony from a guy called, we call him Steve. Feed has helped me an awful lot in these past few years, not just with food, but with financial advice and personal issues. When I am feeling low, there is always someone there to talk to me. Without feed, I would probably be a malnourished, nervous wreck. The team there does a tremendous job, and I cannot thank them enough. That's our food bank that takes place on a Monday morning. You see, God's plan is not to rescue Christians from this world. If it was, he would have done that already. His plan is not to rescue Christians from this world, but to rescue this world through Christians. I think it's beautifully summarized in Christian Aid's slogan that says, We believe in life before death. You see, you were created in his image to rule on his behalf. Wherever you are, he is ready to resource you with heaven's resources to bring heaven on earth. That is to model heaven in life, to restore the beauty of creation, to reconcile people to God and restore relationships, to undo the works of the enemy, to overcome poverty, to destroy oppression, to remove whatever evil, whatever chaos is holding people or places back from flourishing. Now that is a huge overarching goal. Bigger than any of us, but not bigger than all of us. Remember, we are to multiply. We're to tell people about the God in heaven that loves them, lead them into that relationship to Jesus. Remind them of their calling like someone should have done to Steve Jobs many years ago. And then fill the earth and rule over it. I believe if we are willing to steward whatever time and energy we've been given, it really is possible to see transformation of that chaos into life, of heaven to earth. You know, maybe you're sitting there saying, this all sounds wonderful and sounds a great challenge, but frankly, I struggle to complete an assignment on time, and I barely have the energy to make dinner, and I certainly don't feel very heavenly. But you know, there's a story in the Bible which many of you know, but it's one that highlights this very issue we struggle with and says how God meets it. If you've got your Bibles, uh, or if it'll come up on the screen, if you don't have a Bible, please, uh, we'll give you one. We'd love to... Resource you with that. It's uh, Matthew 14 from verse 13. It says this, When Jesus heard what had happened, and what happened was his son, his son, his cousin, he doesn't have a son, just be clear, uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, had just died. He, uh, he um, had been beheaded for preaching one too many sermons on Herod marrying his brother's wife. Uh, 
And so Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, uh, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. You see, Jesus was mourning. He needed some space, some time alone. And the crowds, frankly, they didn't mind. They had needs. They followed the boat along the coast, pursuing and then eventually surrounding him. You know, sometimes we have things that we're wrestling with, personal issues that fill our minds um, and, fill our, and darken our spirits. Would rather be alone, thanks. But no matter how far you go or how much you try to ignore things, there's always something that as soon as you see it or as soon as you hear about it, it just gets you. You're filled with compassion. You may not call it compassion. It may just be an annoyance. But there's a certain group of people. Maybe it's the families from the estate that are constantly being talked bad about. Or the young men or women at your work who just, lost, just look lost and fatherless, who need a role model. Maybe it's the youth hanging around the street because there's nowhere else to go. Or the elderly neighbor who never leaves their home. Everywhere you go, you see something that reminds you of them. Now, as I said, you wouldn't say it's compassion. You would just say it's frustration. Why is no one doing anything about that? It certainly bothers you. It niggles you. You cannot get them off your mind. It's not guilt. It's more like a nudge. And you wonder what you, with your busy, heavy life, who's not feeling very heavenly, can do about it and could possibly offer them. Verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, this is a great suggestion, a very practical and not unreasonable idea. But then Jesus replies, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I know we're in the middle of nowhere. I see that they're hungry. They need something to eat. But they, they don't need to go anywhere. Some of them don't even have anywhere to go. When you hear there's a need, you see that someone has a need to be met. Your heart sometimes goes out for that group or for that person. You see an opportunity, you keep thinking about the housing estate, you keep on thinking about the empty seat on the PTA or the school governor. You've told someone about it, <laughs> you've suggested that someone does something about it, but nothing has yet happened. You know, we, had a, we have a residence association and uh, at the top of our street there's some homeless people who are just drinking all the time and we have a residence street association email that went out saying we need to do something to move these guys on, they're making uh, the street look bad, which in itself is a conversation. But, um, but someone replied saying, I'm a Christian and I think we should do something about it rather than just get rid of them. Silence. No one else replied to that email. <laughs> yeah, maybe we need to do something. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You feel a nudge and you say, I, I don't meet those needs. I'm a Christian. I pray for them. I don't meet them. I pray for them. They're looking, you know, they're looking for someone to join the kids' team. Oh, I'll, I'll pray for them. This is a big church. I mean, how am I supposed to connect? If only there's a connect group near me, I pray that the church will send a group that's close to me. Teenagers are hurting. The elderly alone. I pray that the church does something about it. God, please send someone to my neighborhood to get those women together. No, you give them something. Then the disciples do the same thing that every single one of us do. They make excuses. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. 
You know, we can't imagine this, but you've got to realize they're face-to-face with Jesus right now. And their typical answer probably shouldn't be, do you know what, God? Nah, we're not going to do that. You know, we, we talked about it, and we decided it's too much, we can't be bothered. So they make excuses, they list their reasons. I don't have time, I don't have experience, I, don't have, I haven't studied theology, I don't know how to do this, I don't even know how to cook. That's sadly true for me. We only have five loaves and two fishes. It, you know, this is genuine excuse. You know, think of the math, 5,000 people, five loaves, actually it was about 15,000, but let's go to 5,000. Five loaves of bread. Okay, if we whittle it down to say 500 people in this room, that's half a loaf of bread for every single one of us to share. Not each, to share. It's a genuine excuse. They, they actually aren't equipped. They actually don't have the resources. Jesus, I think you have the wrong people for this. Jesus replies, bring them here to me. Oh, I knew he was going to say that. But here's what he's saying. Jesus, I can't. I just, I just don't have, this is, this is all I have. That's fine. Just bring me what you have. You know, I didn't go to university. I didn't finish school. That's fine. Just bring me what you have, Jesus says. I have dyslexia. That's fine. Just bring me what you have. God, I hardly know the Bible. That's fine. Just bring me what you know. I don't have anything. I don't have much time. That's fine. Just bring me whatever little you have. I've never been on a mission trip. I don't have any experience. I'm scared. Just bring me your fear. Bring me what you have. If you're willing to bring whatever time, whatever energy you have, a desire to see something happen, a hope that something might change, not just a warm body to fill a need, but an invitation from God who brought life out of chaos, who positioned us to reign over earth as its promise and, and his promise in the absolute resources of heaven to do so. Bring whatever you have. Verse 19, Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven. He takes whatever they bring and then he adds heaven's resources to it. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketballs left. The number of people that ate that day were 5,000 men, besides women and children. Imagine coming home and having to share your one Domino's pizza with 100 people lining up at your door. (laughs) What does Jesus do? He breaks the loaves and he gives it to his disciples. He literally lines up 12 people and says, okay, you guys, you 12, here you go. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Puts it in your hand. And you look at it and you go, uh, thanks, this is enough for one person. Is, is this for me? What do, what do I do with this? And so the disciples do what only they know how to do. They take the one thing that they have, turn around and give it to someone else. They turn back around and Jesus gives them more. They turn around, they give that away to someone else. They turn back around one thing at a time. See, they do what they know how to do. But they're trusting that God will do what only God can do. Add in heaven's resources to it. That's all they did. You know, Tuesday mornings is absolutely filled with toddlers dragging their parents and carers into this, <laughs> into this place. And it is worth bragging on. Sharon has done an amazing job. And it's not just the activities. It's not just, the, I mean, they do a tremendous things. It's actually, there's a waiting list. That's how popular toddlers is on a, Sunday, on a Tuesday morning. But you know, the thing that really gets people is how warm that they are welcomed, how loved they feel when they walk through the door. One lady was just saying it the other day. 
She said, you know, when I came here to toddlers, it was the first time since I've had a baby that someone made me a cup of tea and I got to sit down and drink it. The first time since she had a baby. The person behind the counter just did what they knew how to do. The God had added heavenly resources to it and it's transformed that woman's life. Such a simple thing. You know, for you, it's energy. For me, you know, and it's time. And we add resources to it. I'm just going to just, this is interesting for me. I don't know if it adds much to it, but it's really interesting. Who remembers science GCSE lessons? Yeah, no one, exactly. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> There's a formula that says when you had energy, joules, over a period of time, do you know what that makes? It makes wattage. Do you know what wattage is a measurement of? Power. When you add energy over a period of time, the result is power. It's power. I didn't remember that until I had to teach the sermon. I've not put it in any use whatsoever, but it is fascinating how true it is. Let me give you one example. Chris Birch Evans is sitting here next to his lovely wife, Kate. You know, he... um, they go, these guys kind of oversee our family connect groups. And uh, many years ago, Chris had a thought, just a thought. You know, if you grew up in church, you're surrounded by people who genuinely love you and want to see you thrive. You're known by name. You run around and people just smile at you. What about those people that don't go to church? What if they don't have that? He thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I wonder, I want to know if I can bring the wonder of church to the people who are never even compelled to walk through the doors of church. I want to bring heaven on earth to them. And so he took whatever he had, an idea and a willingness to teach his Christian faith in an RE lesson. And so the local atheist didn't have to teach it, basically. And he birthed a local charity called STEP, one that we as a church, you, support financially. You know, last year, STEP, taught and ran 1,503 classes and activities. That's around 40. That's around 45,000 face-to-face student hours. Chris offered his time and his energy and did what only he knew how to do and trusted that God would do what only God could do and add to it. Mother Teresa said once, if I look at the crowd, I will never act. But if I look at the one, I will. There is a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous privilege behind just giving what we can. You know, if you're part of this church, if you're part of a connect group, if your kids are in group right now, then you are currently benefiting from people who have taken what they have and placed it into the hands of God, waited for him to add heavenly resources and make an utter difference, a transformation. Jenna, who did notices, her and her husband, AJ, uh, they found themselves with a Monday afternoon, a Monday evening free when we run the Alpha Course, and absolute energy to see people to come to know Jesus, and that's all they had. And so they brought it to an, um, an Alpha Course and volunteered. And every single week, they were given something they could turn around and just place into the hands of someone else. Every single week, week after week, they were just given something, turn around, place it into someone's hand. Do you know now, they lead the Alpha Course. And they have the privilege, and have had the privilege of seeing people healed, see people come to know Jesus, see people, they probably look around and see people in this church that wouldn't be here if not for them. What is God nudging you to do? 
Would you be willing to do whatever it takes to know how to, to know how to do what you do and trust that God will add heavenly resources and do what only God knows how to do? Let me give you a few suggestions and I'll finish off with a final point. Try these things. Join a Sunday team. Bring heaven on earth to this place. Thank you so much for all of your sacrificial giving. We have an, an amazing facilities. We just don't have the people now to go in the rooms. We've grown too big. Isn't that wonderful? But we need kids team. We genuinely need kids team. If you have an energy, you may not know how to teach a class, but if you can read, can you read? Then you can read a lesson plan. If you can smile at a child, then come and smile at a child. Let God add to it what he will add to it. If not, if you, if you have no energy for kids, and not everyone does, then adults still need help as well. Join a refreshments team. Join the welcome team. Join whatever team, the AV, the uh, video, or the photographer, whatever it is. And if you don't know, just ask us. Put your name at the desk or email us, and we'll, we'll help you find the right place for you, whatever you have energy for. Secondly, consider, con- sorry, consider volunteering. Monday mornings at feed, we need some practical setup. Tuesday mornings, there's never enough people to talk to the mums. Friday evenings with youth. Maybe you'd consider volunteering at STEP and just giving up an hour or two a day just to be able to go in and teach some lectures or um, lessons. You just read a plan. If you can listen to a child, you can add some value. Or there's other charities around. Thirdly, we say this after every single service. Tell someone about Jesus and invite them along. There are people who are living in chaos that need to experience heaven. Number four, Host or help someone host a connect group. If you do, you'll be teaching people to experience heaven in that place and take heaven out of that place into the world. Number five, consider the discipleship year. You know, it's one thing taking what you have, but imagine if you were to make more time. Set aside more energy and see what God could possibly do through you if you made yourself available for it. We start that in September. A couple of days a week, I'd love to tell you more about it, or just check out the website. And finally, um, that doesn't make sense, the next one, because I've missed a story, but pray and obey the prayer. In other words, to stand in front of Jesus and say, God, this is all I have. What would happen if I just took what you gave me and give it to someone else? Take me out of my comfort zone. Use me. Let me finish with this. We're not going to have the band up because it's uh, almost 11. No one individual can bring the fullness of God, of God's kingdom on earth. Not one of us can do that, but all of us can. We are created in his image to reign on his behalf. And if we take whatever we, are, we have, place him into God's hands, let him add heavenly resources to it, then we can see heaven break out on earth. We can take our thrones and make a difference. In 1930s, when Mussolini... Not a very nice guy. He was strutting his force across much of the Mediterranean world. He was asked to explain his swift rise to power. And he answered, I found Europe full of empty throne rooms and simply walked in and took them. There are empty throne rooms that you are needing to sit on. There are empty thrones that you need to sit on to rule. And if you don't sit on them, someone else will. If you don't step into that role, someone else will. If you don't meet those people's needs, who will? Take your energy over a period of time and let God turn it into power.